Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. I'm a married, white, American woman in the shallow end of my 40s. As I mentioned, I've got five kids, a really healthy mortgage, and some complicated feelings about dairy. Because while I love cheese, it kind of hates me. And that pretty much sums up my social resume. If I'm being honest, I think it's usually pretty easy for me to link arms with women like me. Women who look like me, who are the same stage of life as me. I think in the last 10 years, we've all been groomed to form relationships with those who, whose Venn diagrams kind of share a lot of overlap with our own. We've been encouraged to form tribes and ride-or-die friendships. Even within the church, we often find ourselves being poked and jabbed into well-curated little small groups or life groups with folks of like mind or who share a similar season of life. But when we zip up our circles so tightly, I wonder if we're missing out. What is the relational, or maybe better said, the spiritual fallout for gathering allies and tidy teams. Today, I'm joined once again by Melissa Zaldivar. You might remember her from the very first show when we unpack the basics of Hugely Living. Melissa is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, What Cannot Be Lost, and the host of her very own show, Cheer Her On Podcast. She's returned to help us better understand this tenant of relationships. So welcome, Melissa. We're glad to have you again. My goodness, I'm glad to be here. Well, remind us again who you are, Melissa, and maybe give us some cliff notes of your relationship with relationships. Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, relationships are fun because we all have them, whether it's a friend or a companion, some sort of person that we've known our entire lives or just met. Um, So I love talking about relationships. So I, uh, just as a quick refresh... I live in New England in a small Gilmore Girlsy kind of town. I work for Moody Publishers as my day job. And as you mentioned, I'm an author. Uh, so I have my nine to five and my five to 10, I like to call it. And I spend my time writing, encouraging people, um, you know, like collecting memes on social media, having all kinds of outrageous and strange times um, and documenting them. All the important Instagram. things. Oh, 100%. And so my relationship with relationships is one that has definitely um, shifted some over the years. I grew up on the West Coast. I went to college in the Midwest. I've lived in the South and now in New England where I went to grad school. And so because of that, I've realized the importance of community, of friendships. And as a single woman, those have become all the more vital in recent years because if I don't make plans to hang out with someone, I'm just going to eat alone 21 meals a week. And so I've learned the necessity of building a group of friends and uh, family and people who I can connect with on a regular basis just for my own sanity. 
And you've probably seen quite a cross section of humanity being in all those different places around the country because, you know, we're quite a bit different in the Midwest from those in the Southwest, from those in the, you know, Northeast and all of that. So you probably have seen the slice of life. Yeah. And I have found that most people are kind of the same. It's just that maybe their prompts and how they initially engage are different. So for example, in the South, we say, oh, you know, in the South, everybody seems to be friendly um, and they'll talk to you and things like that, but maybe they don't really truly care. Or in the North, nobody cares. And we kind of have these broad brushes that we tend to use socially, but I would say it's just about how they interact differently. So in the North, it's not that people aren't friendly, they just don't go first. But if you start talking to someone, they'll certainly talk to you and you'll have a really great conversation. So it's just learning who you're talking to and setting your expectations so that you can have a genuine connection. That's fair. I like that. Well, let's kick things off with a verse that I think will point us in a real solid direction today. It's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, and it reads, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So as believers, Melissa, what is the eternal significance behind the relationships that we build? What's basically what's the point of friendships? Oh, that's that's a pretty simple question. <laughs> you know, I think that the importance of relationship and friendship specifically is that, you know, 99.9%, maybe 100% of the people you interact with are not your spouse. Um, they are your friends. They are your family. They are people that you're in relationship with outside of that marriage covenant. And so it's really important to nurture those relationships. And this is something over the years that I've noticed is it's really easy to allow for, uh, as a single person, um, to feel disqualified from relationship because you are single. Uh, but the reality is everybody's majority of friendships are friendships, and that's exactly what you have. And so when it comes to figuring out the way to honor the Lord in our relationships and ways that our relationships point us to Jesus. I mean, look no further than the Trinity. God is three in one. He is relationship and we are made in his image. And so therefore we are engineered for relationship. Most of the time, the people that Jesus meets that have the most profound experience with him are people that are lonely, that are isolated, that are overlooked, that are forgotten. And when he speaks to the part of them that says, I need other people and I need community, I think that's when real transformation begins. Right. I think that familial connection that we have, even outside of our own family with our friends and our neighbors, I think it really does um, point to our triune God because he was a communal God. Um, he knew even in the garden that it's not good for us to be alone. And I think sometimes when we do zip up our circles too tightly, only looking for people that look like us, that sound like us, that act like us, we're really obeying a gospel of, of convenience, you know, because it's easy. Those relationships are really easy to grab for, but it's in the highways and byways. It's in the people that maybe are kind of unlovely. It's those people that need the love of Christ, you know, and that's who we're called to sidle up next to and to love well with the gospel. So I'm going to go back 
you dropped the S word on us, Melissa. And I think that that's in our Christian culture, it's often heard as a four letter word, singleness. I think singles are often looked at as lesser than in the church. They're relegated, you know, to the kids table or treated like social lepers. Have you felt that? And what would you say to your married brothers or sisters in response to that? Because I know you speak to this often and you speak to it well. Well, you know, singleness is a touchy subject because there is an implicit amount of rejection that sits with that. When somebody is single, whether we are God-fearing spiritual people or not, a lot of the time, the first thing that comes into our fallen minds is, well, something's wrong with them. This is the way that single people feel about themselves. This is the way that married people feel about their single friends. I regularly do surveys on my social media and say, okay, let's get really honest. I'm not going to judge you. I just want to know like, what comes into your mind when you meet someone single of a certain age. I think singleness, for the record, is very different when you're 21 than when you're 31, 41, etc. And so when I say, okay, you've met someone who's uh, older than the average marrying age of your friends and they're single, what do you think of them? And a lot of them have confessed and been convicted of their own um, fallen viewpoint when they say, you know, this feels really gross to say out loud, but I think that there's something wrong with them. I think they don't have the ability to commit. I feel like something has happened in their past that they just need to get over. I think they're not trying hard enough. And and there are these assumptions that are often made, but never really corrected because no one's having that conversation. No one's talking about singleness in a way that makes us go, wait a minute, is that even true? And so as a sort of social experiment a few months ago, I actually went onto my Instagram and uh, had about 5,000 followers at the time. And I said, hey, everyone, set me up. I'm a Christian. Um, I am interested in these things. I'm not looking for the perfect match right away. But if you know someone, um, a young man that you think could be a good fit, I would I would love to just start a conversation. And you know how many of those people actually um, made a move out of over 5,000? Uh, the answer is zero. No one reached out. Nobody said they knew anyone. And yet we're over here telling single people, get it together, put yourself out there, go on a date when 5,000 people couldn't come up with one candidate. And so we have to look at the reality, which is we're asking for an impossible thing. We're saying, oh, it's as simple as just putting yourself out there, whatever in the world that means. But we're not considering that the single person is, it's an uphill battle. You know, there aren't very many people that um, after a certain age are, you know, eligible bachelors, at least in my case as a woman. Um, There aren't very many people in New England where I live that are even believers. And so if we're going to expect single people to... um, just show up in order to find love, we also have to have some compassion for the fact that that is not as simple as you might think that it is. And so relationally, you know, we kind of broad brush. And in a similar way, single people, I think, do this to married people. We assume, oh, you're too busy with your marriage and your kids to care about me. Or, oh, like, you're just, you know, your life is perfect and marriage must just be the best thing in the world. Because in our loneliest moments, we long for companionship. And in the greatest moments of marriage, um, it still doesn't fill the void of needing relationships in our life outside of just that one. And ultimately our relationship with Jesus is the only one that's going to satisfy us. Right. And so I think there's a lot of just sort of missed communication in the church, especially between single people, between married people. And we, we assume, um, we assume the worst and we expect the best case scenario for them. And neither of those things is just realistic for having a sustainable friendship. 
Mm, I think so often we can say a lot of things about singleness and maybe our words don't declare you know, brokenness, but our body language and how we respond to our single friends sort of shouts to them, there's something broken about you that you haven't figured this out yet. And the reality is you can be married. You know, I've been married for 20 years, but there are times even in my wonderful marriage where I can feel lonely and my spouse was never designed or created to fill in the holes that Christ was supposed to fill in my life. I love the fact that in a Hugely lifestyle, it's so inclusive and really welcomes us to welcome others who don't always look like us. You know, it's a, a, I have to often ask myself as I'm inviting friends over, do I have um, single friends on my list of invitations? Do I have toys, little baby infant toys, even though I'm well past that stage in my own life? But do I have a basket of this or that for the young mom that has an infant or a baby or a toddler and is sort of just fearful of coming over to my house with their baby or toddler because they'll have to be wrangling all the time. We have to reach outside of our circles. Uh, Melissa, do you ever get tired or maybe weary of always beating the drum on behalf of singles? Because I know that's something you do speak to of often, like you're carrying the weight of that. You know, it's funny because this is something that I, I didn't really actively fight it for a long time, but only recently I've started posting things like, you know, like, am I the only one that feels this? Or I'm going to be really honest and give you a window into it. And so, no, I'm not tired of it. I actually really enjoy talking about it. Um, But I also recognize that my experience of single is very different than someone else's experience of single. Um, And so when I think about the holidays, things like that, I've been really proactive to make sure that I have coverage. So for example, this year, I'm going um, to California, Lord willing, to be with my family for Thanksgiving. And then for Christmas, I'm going to stay put here. And that could be potentially lonely. But I'm thinking even now, okay, asking friends, who's going to be around? Who wants to go, you know, let's go sledding. Let's spend a weekend at a cabin. Let's do something and putting things on my calendar. And so I think that's what's exhausting is how much um, sort of effort it takes to not be alone. Because it would be very easy to be alone and to just be at home during the Christmas time and say, okay, like, I guess I just don't have the energy to reach out and just like, I'm going to, you know, just be sequestered in my tiny apartment and stressed out and let cynicism rule the day. Um, But I would say, you know, in terms of getting tired of it, no, I think the more exhausting thing is when singleness becomes um, something that prevents me at times from feeling naturally connected to people. And when I'm really stressed or overwhelmed and I don't have the energy to reach out, like you don't have to think to yourself as a married person, like, I wonder who I'm going to have dinner with this week. Uh, It is assumed that when you have dinner, you will likely have dinner with other people, even if it's just your husband um, or one of your kids, because someone else has, you know, a commitment. Uh, It's, it's not, necessarily something that would be unusual for you to assume you're meet, you're going to eat with someone. Whereas for me, um, it is assumed I will be alone. And so it is therefore assumed that if I don't make dinner, then I won't have dinner. Like if I don't make an effort, um, then it doesn't naturally happen. And so there are lots of cereal nights and things like that. So I think that's the more um, tiring piece of it is it is constant attention to um, connection. And it's a connection that isn't necessarily going to happen 
just by existing in my home. And I think that the burden really does fall on or should fall on the shoulder shoulders of us who are married in the church to take up that mantle and say, I'm going to reach out and ensure that my single friend has a person, you know, I can be their person. Mm. Yeah. And it doesn't take much, Jamie. It really doesn't. When someone invites me into their home, I'm not expecting, you know, the nice china and for the menu to be amazing and for them to have like really pulled out all the stops and put out fresh flowers. That's not what I want. A lot of the time I join my friends for dinner and it's just nice to be with humans. The bar is very low. And so one of the things that I've done is said to single people on social media, hey, what do you wish your married friends would say to you or ask you? And most of the time, they just want an invitation to a meal or to a soccer game or to a family walk or whatever it is that you're already doing. And it's actually really easy to include your friends. We just often don't think to because we're surrounded by people. Um, you know, I'm speaking, of course, from the perspective of a mar- married person. You're surrounded, so you don't think, how do we add to this? Um, but think of your single friends and say, hey, join us. And I love going to sporting events for my friends' kids. Um, I love the opportunity to just run errands with them, whatever it is. It's much simpler than you think to involve your single friends. Well, I want to move away from singleness um, onto something else because there's lots of different types of relationships that I want to touch on today. But I do want to share this quick story. I thought this was brilliant. Several years ago, I had a friend. She was in the similar season of life as me, a couple of little kids. And she invited a bunch of young singles, mind you, like in their 20s, over to her house um, one day just before Thanksgiving. And she provided all the ingredients, all the tools, and they had an an apple pie baking day. Now, remember, this is just a couple days before Thanksgiving. Her thought was, I'm going to teach these young women how to make a pie and they'll have a pie to take home with them as they leave my house. They'll be able to take it with them wherever they're going to spend Thanksgiving. Because let's be real, most singles are just told, hey, bring the chips or the bread. And sometimes that's well-intentioned, like it's an easy yes for them. But I think sometimes it's actually... um, it's it's actually de- demeaning at times to singles to just assume, well, they're only going to be able to bring the bread. And so she wanted to send them off with an actual lovely homemade apple pie that they made with their own hands that they could bring to their family's Thanksgiving um, dinner. And I thought that was brilliant. That's such a hugely example of, you know, bringing folks in relationally and meeting them right where they are. Well, what do you think that um, singles have to offer to the broader church? What benefits can we see? Well, what benefits can you see in your own life from mixing up your relationships, from interacting with women of all ages and life seasons, whether single or married or otherwise? Well, I mean, I think what we bring to the table is similar to what everyone else does. I think it's easy to say, oh, single people, what you're good for in my life, whether or not you're aware that you're saying this, you might be saying this, married friends. Like, what you bring to my life is babysitting. What you bring to my life is a chance for my husband and I to have a date night. And that's great. Like, I understand that there is a need for babysitting. I also am a 31-year-old woman, and there are teenagers in my church that would also be great at that. And it makes me feel like a child at times when our only interaction is, hey, can you come and babysit for me? Ouch. That's a truth that we need to hear, Melissa. That's that's exactly right. So I would say 
the thing that we bring to the table is what you bring to the table, right? I'm a professional um, and I have a job and I pay rent and I have all of the same concerns that many of my other peers do, even though my relationship status is different. And so one of the things that I think I bring to the table is that I am a grown up and I can be your friend. And it sounds kind of silly to say that, but I think a lot of the time single people feel like they're being treated by treated as n- as lesser than, but also as younger than. Like there is this sort of ex- over explaining. And like you said, you can bring the chips. And I know you're trying to make it easy, but you're also saying something that you would say to a teenager when you don't expect them to be a responsible adult. So just be aware of, I think, the tone there. But, you know, I think I bring to the table a perspective that's also different. I can't tell you how many times I've been blessed by married friends opening up to me about something that's going on in their marriage to say, this is how I'm feeling frustrated, or this is what's going on. In fact, I remember very clearly, I once had a friend who, she's a single mom, and she had started dating someone. And, you know, we're all in our 30s. And she's saying, you know, I just, I feel like, uh, you know, he does these things where he's always reminding me of like things I have to do on my to-do list. And I feel like he's almost like parenting me and he doesn't trust me and yada, yada. And I happen to have a very similar personality to this person's boyfriend. And I said, oh, I do that sometimes, but it's me trying to take care of my friend and making sure they're okay. And I said, I'm wondering if maybe um, your boyfriend is not necessarily trying to be someone who's very opinionated about your life or judging you for um, maybe some of your flightiness, but maybe he's just trying to help. And he's saying, let me take this off your plate. Let me help you with this thing. And she went back to him and sure enough, that's exactly what his heart was. And so she was like, I'm so thankful that you had a similar personality to him so that you could give me insight into to how he's actually trying to love me. He's not trying to just like run my life or be judgmental or whatever. And I was able to bring in just an outside perspective and I was able to cheer on their relationship as a single person and say, whoa, I see both of you. This is what I see in him. This is what I know his heart is for you. And maybe take a step back and ask him some questions. And lo and behold, um, you know, they continued to date. They got engaged. They're married now with um, a couple of kids. And I I do not um, say that it's because I offered that insight, but I do say that it was a really good opportunity to cheer them on in their dating process. And in a similar way, I've had married friends that'll open up to me about things and I'm able to be a very unbiased third party. And it's not to say it's even points of conflict. It could just be, you know, I've had friends saying, oh man, I need two kids in different places at the same time. And our car just broke down and I'm able to say, hey, Um, what if I took one of your kids to practice or something like that? And so I think that we offer the support uh, to married friends that we sometimes don't get to give because there's this assumption that we don't want to talk about their married life or that we don't want to talk about their parenting life. Um, But the reality is when given the opportunity, we bring a lot to the table. And in a similar way, we really want married friends because you guys are in a different season. And so when we're feeling lonely or sad or when we're feeling excited and we want to share a celebration with someone, you guys are the ones we get to turn to. So it's not it's not a one-way street, as some might assume. I think, too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Melissa, I think my single friends, when I'm watching them walk out the gospel, I see this nimbleness in their life that I just don't have um, being tied down to some other responsibilities, that they're able to do things for the kingdom that maybe I would love to do, but I'm just not in that season. And I can send them off with all my prayers and my blessings and my, my love, knowing they are walking out 
the gospel in ways that I cannot. They're able to um, go places I can't go and interact with people I'll never be able to interact because their lives are just more nimble. And that's a good thing. We don't have to look at that as a stain on their social lives. Mm, Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a level of flexibility. I think that it's always really helpful when people... um, for example, someone's Facebook account, an elderly gentleman in my church got hacked this weekend and I went and took care of it because I could, because I didn't have anything going on in those particular hours. That said, I think sometimes it's it's just like br- painting in a broad brush in both directions, right? And so in a similar way, I am not just sitting on free time all the time. I recognize that I'm flexible. Um, and I think that it allows us, we ought to position ourselves and posture ourselves in such a way that it allows us to appreciate the things that we have. Like, so that I can say, you know what, Jamie, that is such an encouragement. Thank you. Because I know your intention with that statement is to say your nimbleness is something that I wish I had. And I'm able to say, wow, Lord, thank you for that. And in a similar way, when I say, oh my goodness, I feel so lonely. I wish I had someone. Your husband might be driving you crazy, but I would hope that that would move you as a married person toward, but you know what? I'm really thankful that I have a partner in this life to walk through the thick and thin with, even though he's driving me crazy. So I think it's always good how single people and married people can point each other toward truth um, in the non-caricature ways of how their lives are different. To give each other a proper perspective. I love that. Well, you had mentioned that you made a significant move across the country and were the newbie, right? Can you give us just a snapshot of how you started to cultivate relationships from the ground up? Were there any practical things that you did to start reaching across the aisle to not just form deeper, more intimate friendships with with other believers, but also to broaden your circle to non-believers so that you might actually further the gospel? Mm. Well, yeah, I would say my personality type is fairly intentional, so I recognize that that's not particularly normal. Um, But I'll give you a few examples of ways that I've built friendships that were unexpected as maybe um, some potential idea um, inspiration here. So, you know, I have met people in a lot of different ways. I think one of the main things is that I'm just open to the reality that the Lord is going to put someone in our life today Um, And we have an opportunity to minister to them. In fact, just yesterday, I was at an outlet. I was buying Maine blueberry jam at the Stonewall Kitchen Outlet. And there was this woman there and she saw my bin was full of blueberry jam because I was buying a bunch of little jars for an event. And she goes, oh, are you really into blueberry jam? (laughs) Ha ha. You know, we have this little fodder back and forth and we're talking and and I walked away from her and I was with my friend Christine. And and as we drove away, she was like, wow, that woman was really nice. You guys seem to like have a little connection. And I was like, we did. And I was like, I kind of wish I'd talked to her longer. And then I got really sad. And I was like, what if I never get to talk to that person again? Because she's a stranger at an outlet store two hours from my house, right? Like, And it was just this moment in which I've learned over time to try to connect to people, whether I'm ever going to talk to them or not, um, and to treat them like they are an honor Uh, to be around. It is an honor to get to be friends. And part of that is from loss that I've experienced of friends passing away um, to where I say, oh, like what I wouldn't give for one more conversation with that person. And so therefore, when I run into a stranger and we have this little back and forth about blueberry jam, I'm able to say, Lord, like you have created this person and maybe she was having a rough day and that brought her light. And even if she doesn't know specifically it's from Jesus, it's something that points her in the right direction. And I think in a, in a way that is not too over spiritualizing, the truth is 
God has created us to have community and we get to be around people, not we have to be around people. Technically, and this is going to be hard to believe, Jamie, I'm introverted. Um, the reason that I can be so intentional with relationships is I live alone. Like I'm alone most of the time, 80% of the time, 90% of the time. And that's why I'm like getting out there. But I mean, I've met people by um, being at town meetings. Uh, I, I live in a small town and that's how we do our town government. All the town people get together, like in Gilmore Girls. Um, I've met people through the horseshoe club. I found that there's a horseshoe club in my town and I thought I'd like to learn how to play horseshoes. And so for me, and there's a group of like five retired men and a woman and we play horseshoes and that's a way I connect to people. Um, and there are all of these different opportunities we have in our communities already built in through specific interests, um, things like that. And of course, the primary way that I meet people is at my church. There are people that you see every week and you don't know their name. So maybe go up to them and say, hey, um, I've seen you around. I don't know your name. I'm Melissa. Nice to meet you and start talking. And more than likely, you will find things in common with that person. And the chief thing you have in common is that you love the Lord, or at least maybe they're curious about the Lord because they're at church. And some of my closest friends that I've ever met were people that I knew who they were. They were kind of in the cast of characters in my life um, as familiar faces, but making them into um, a delight and a joy and saying, wow, I get to talk to this person. Tell me about your life um, has been one of the more rewarding ways for me to connect to people in the community. Yeah, I think we need to start seeing every single interaction, even just a happenstance interaction where somebody flits in and out of your life, like the woman who saw you put the jam in your basket. You know, if we start to see all of those as divine appointments to really share the love of Jesus, just in a real normal relational way, not trying to make them into a project, but just to show them the kindness of Christ as, as is, you know, appropriate because they are an image bearer of God. What about the woman who says, okay, I've tried to form relationships, but I just can't seem to make any relationships stick. Do you have any encouragement or advice for her? Oof. Well, I should say the first thing that comes into my mind is when I was a kid, uh, you were at the mercy of who lives in your town, right? If your friend moves away, then you're on the phone, I guess. But it's hard to cultivate long distance relationships in childhood the way that it is simpler when it's more up to you as an adult. And when I was a kid, my best friend moved away almost every year. One moved to Sacramento, one moved to Canada, one moved to Washington, one moved to Idaho. It was like this theme in my elementary school years of people always moving away. And so sometimes people leave our lives because it is not up to us. You know, their parent got a job or whatever and they had to move. And and that is certainly a bummer. Sometimes uh, maybe there's a falling out or something like that. And I would say there are a lot of relationships um, that kind of come and go. There's this really great book about friendship um, by Dee Bresden. She wrote called uh, The Friendships of Women. And she talks about annual and perennial friends. And it's been one of the most life-giving concepts to me. And that's to say, you have annual and perennial plants, right? Annual plants are the kind that come up once a year and then they go away. So take, up, for example, a sunflower. A sunflower plant rises up and it's beautiful and yellow and then it dies and they mow it down and the next year they plant seeds again and that's how they come back. They don't just stay um, all year long. Whereas you might have a perennial like a house plant that's a succulent and it's around all year long 
and it's there um, multiple seasons, and, th- and that's a perennial. And so in a similar way, we have friends that are meant for a season, friends that are meant for a time. It could be a couple of months. It could be a few years even, but they're not necessarily those lifelong friends. And something I've realized and been encouraged in over the years is the friends that you make that are like close, lifelong friends, there are not very many of, like one to three if you're lucky. Whereas a lot of the others tend to not be um, as long lasting. And so I think for a long time growing up and even into adulthood, I thought, well, I want everyone to be as close as they can be all the time. And then I would just get disappointed over and over and over again when life or rhythms or other things pulled us apart. And so um, one of the things I would say, first of all, is it's very normal to the person who feels like, why can I not keep friends? Some friends come and go. That's not a reflection of you as a human. It doesn't mean you're not worthy of love or relationship. It's just the nature of the world we live in um, and people being pulled in different directions. That said, I think sometimes when we vocalize, hey, I really want to be your friend, that can actually kind of be a game changer, even though it seems almost too simple. So, for example, I had this friend in college named Jill And when Jill and I were in college, we were friends, we would share meals, I would have said, yeah, we're good friends, for sure. Um, But I wouldn't have counted her as the type of person that would, I don't know, like ask me to be in her wedding. So when I got a letter in the mail asking me to be in her wedding, all of a sudden, I sort of made a note and said, oh, Jill is indicating to me that she really wants to be intentional with our friendship, that we are more than just good friends, and that this is a relationship I should therefore invest in. And so I did. And I remember shifting my posture, not that I didn't want to be her friend before at all. I loved being her friend. But she said to me in, you know, asking me to be in her wedding, hey, you're a long hauler. I want you to be in my life as I go into this new season of marriage. And Jill and I, we had seasons where we talked a lot. We had seasons where we didn't talk a lot. Um, But in the most important moments when she got married, um, when she had cancer, and then when she met the Lord, we were together. And I think that that might not have happened had she not gone first and said, hey, I want you in my life in an intentional way. And so sometimes, you know, my encouragement is pray to the Lord and ask, like, who are some people that you can just put on my heart to be um, praying for from a distance? And then maybe go to them and say, hey, you're someone that has just been in my heart and my mind, and I would love to grab coffee, or would you like to meet regularly uh, once a month or something like that, and just see where it goes. Um, But know that if a relationship fizzles out, that does not mean all relationships will fizzle out. It just means that that's what that was for a season, but the Lord still has other relationships for you in the future. And I think to add to that very prayer, it's, you know, sometimes we pray, Lord, give me a friend. And that's not a bad prayer to have. But what if we started praying, Lord, help me be the friend that someone else has been praying for? I think he'll gladly bring the right person across our our path. But what about those women who have seen their longstanding friendships flatline or, you know, blow up in smoke? What does the gospel have to say about our broken bonds of relationships? Yeah. I mean, the reality is the only perfect relationship we're ever going to have is with Jesus Christ. He is the only one that isn't going to let us down. He is the only one that isn't going to abandon us. He is the only one that isn't going to be too busy for us or move across the country or whatever. He is always present. And so one of the things in a really strange way that a relationship that fizzles out can point us to, there there are a few things going on here. First of all, if, it, if it's fizzling out because 
you're not nurturing it or there's something going on that like maybe you need to say you're sorry for or maybe you need to like try to mend um it's certainly worth an attempt at mending but if it's like fizzling out it's no one's fault really you know something like that that's what i'm talking about here it's a good way to say lord i am longing for relationship i am sad that this isn't working and like help me to see that this can point me toward how you are better, like how you are a relationship that doesn't fizzle, that you are a relationship that is always near to us. And a good reminder of the beauty of our relationship with Jesus can sometimes be when things don't work out the way that we want them to. You know, when I'm applying, um, I remember when I was applying for a job right out of grad school and feeling like, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming. Lord, what's coming? What's coming? Because I just wanted answers. I just wanted to know where can I apply that I'll definitely get the job, you know, and it was so uncertain, right, is the feeling I was feeling. And I remember praying and one day the Lord just very kindly and gently reminding me, like, there will be a day, like scripture tells us, there will be a day where you won't have any more questions. You will be with Jesus. Everything will be resolved. All will be well. There will be no more crying, no more pain, no more, you know, I'm adding this embellishment, uh, applying for jobs, uh, no more of these unknowns and insecure feelings. And so when I walked into those interviews, I was able to say, Lord, I want to appreciate the fact that I don't know, because one day I'll know. Like, and so in a similar way, it's like, Lord, help me to appreciate the times when I feel frustrated or lonely as a way of saying, thank you that you are not doing this to me. Um, He's not trying to teach me some cosmic lesson. He, He is present with me in it. And as I experience the loss of friendship, like, make sure to mourn that. That is a bummer. And I'm so sorry that that's happened. I've been there and I've seen friends who have gone there as well. And so you are unfortunately not the first, the last, or the only one to experience the loss of a friendship, but know that um, Christ is near in it to comfort you through it. And he's not going to fizzle out. And that is a gift. Mm, That's so good, Melissa. Thank you so much for that. As we wind down, you are familiar with the idea that in the Hugely lifestyle, the outward life will always affect the inward life. So I want to know what is an outward something right now that you've enjoyed lately that has really helped to reorient your inward life? Maybe it has something to do with relationships. Maybe it doesn't. You know, the first thing that I think of specifically for relationships, right? Because we've sort of talked about this in the first episode, but Um, One of the things I do is I make an effort to keep my guest room ready for a guest, Um, which feels silly. Like there was a time not long ago when many of us recall this, there was a thing called a pandemic. And so I didn't have visitors all the time in New England, but I did have um, I did have a guest room. And so one of the things that I've done is I keep the sheets regularly changed out, you know, if no one slept in it in a while, you know, it kind of gets stale anyway. And so I will change the sheets in my guest room as a way of saying, Lord, I want to welcome in whoever it is, even if they're not staying in this guest room. Um, The guest room represents hospitality. And therefore, I'm trying to not let it just be storage, right? Not let it just be messy and and crazy. And I mean, there are some things right now, like on the table in here that I could move and and the bed is a little unkempt or whatever, because I moved some pillows the other day. But by and large, that is one practice of physical being where I say, Lord, help me to make space for whatever it is you have. It might be a person for dinner. It might be a guest for a weekend. It might be um, a friend who needs a place to go. And this is that space. And I want it to be intentionally prepared for them. But also, I just want to remember that we're always meant to make room. 
It could be that we're making room to grieve, that we're making room to process something that's really hard or heartbreaking, like the end of a friendship, perhaps. Um, And I think that marking uh, our space by saying, help me to make room for whatever it is you have for me right now, Lord, um, that sort of is a physical way that I try to reflect that into my own heart so that I can embrace a lifestyle of making room and being hospitable, even to challenging feelings, to frustrations, to life change, to whatever it is. Yeah, I think that intentional effort really is at the heart of intentional living. I think for me, you know, this year I made it a goal for myself that I would write out like an old timey card, as we did back in the day, to a person that I knew um, maybe really well, just to encourage them, or somebody maybe that I would like to get to know better, somebody that just needed um, an add a girl for or add a boy for doing something great. You know, we all love getting good mail, and so I began writing. I made it a goal to write one card every single Sunday afternoon. And I confess, I'm a little bit behind in my list. I made a list of 52 people, but I'm getting caught up. But that's just one intentional way to show love in a very tangible way as people open up those cards every week. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me. This has been wonderful. Thanks for hopping into the conversation once again. 58% of Americans confess to feeling lonely. And as Christians, we know that the one relationship that will cure their heart sickness of isolation is the one they can make with Jesus. But that's not all. He wants our friends and our neighbors to commune with him, but he also wants them to commune with us. Relationships are messy, as Melissa sort of uh, told us all about today, especially for those of us who are kind of awkward humans. But living is a group project. God didn't intend for any of us to be lone rangers. He desires that we cultivate community for our good, but also for the good of others. You have something to offer those around you. Each one of us does. Jesus. So when in doubt, you can always start with him. Be sure to check back in with us next time as we take a closer look at the Hugely tenet of well-being, the care of oneself and the care of others. And if you want to have an early pass at it, I'd encourage you to grab a copy of my book, Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow. For now, I just want you to be encouraged by this benediction as we close out today. It's found in Romans 15, 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.